Welcome to Stalking in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your co-host, Eitan. I'm joined, as always, by Carl. Hey, Carl. How are you doing? I need a vacation from the vacation I just got back from, right? I think you are feeling the same way. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... Especially Ariella's feet really needed like a two-week vacation. I really made her walk. <laughs> uh, I was, I had the opposite experience on mine. We both ended up in Florida at the same time. And as you know from my voicemail I left in the podcast app for all of our listeners, we <laughs> both ended up traveling last week, could not find time to sync. But I was down in the Florida Keys. Aton was up in Orlando. Mm-hmm. I got a notification at the end of my trip, as I was about to get on the airplane from my Apple Watch, basically saying, is everything okay? Your physical activity levels plummeted in the last few days. So, part of that is I didn't wear an Apple Watch in the ocean or the pool versus my normal day-to-day life, but I was a lot more sedentary. You was feeling left out that you didn't take it with you um, to the pool and the, and the ocean. Oh, but that's, that's so cool. It's so funny we were in Florida. Does it feel weird to Florida to go to Florida and not go to Orlando? Because I do think I'm getting <laughs> to a point where, mostly because I truly don't. F- it's one of those things that maybe I'm letting the politics of Florida affect too much, but it's truly kind of a weird thing where I know it doesn't represent the whole state and it also doesn't represent all of the people, of course, but. Even going to this thing that I was like, this is the one thing why I would feel comfortable going to Florida felt a little bit mocky. And uh, I think I'll get through it. I guess part of being an adult is where do you draw the line for some of these things. And I'm still developing my perspective. So, I mean, keep in mind that I grew up in Texas and Oklahoma and know a lot of people that are still in Texas and Oklahoma. So I end up, it's a little easier for me to have cognitive dissonance around the majority political structure of a state yeah. versus the people and things that are in the state. Um, for me, to answer your, your first question, yes, it was weird not going to Orlando because <laughs> that is the primary reason in which I go to Florida. Um, and honestly, every time I've been to Florida as opposed to passing through Florida, I have ended up in Orlando because mm-hmm. I like Disney World, as do you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wish that every time I go to Florida, I could go to Disney World and to Cape Canaveral. But alas, I did not go to either of them. But yeah, it was it was weird. It, it's always strange going and... I don't know. See, seeing your political um, heuristics you're operating on about a people in a place hold true. I don't know. I was in lots of tourist oh. traps with lots of bumper stickers that have derogatory messages about Biden that seem to be based in nothing except for Fox-led conspiracy theories, but I was able to ignore it for the most part. No, that's good. Cool. I'm glad it felt like a vacation, even if it, it was like that. Yeah, I didn't leave Disney World at all. Uh, but I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about, about Disney World in the back end, in the back end of the... Of, of this episode. I, I think where we wanted to start, which was very funny, is that last time we talked, you shared your perspective about Don't Worry Darling, and I shared mine about Avatar. And I believe we've officially reversed roles. Uh, I watched Don't Worry Darling, you catched up Avatar, and 
we wanted to to share with each other back kind of our experiences and especially think for no don't worry darling about the the plot and the the spoilers which we didn't get to last time so i will lead with avatar because i think we have i have less to say about avatar than you probably do about don't worry darling i did jokingly suggest yep. that we just did the entire episode from last week except roll reverse and <laughs> just irritate everyone but we do have more important more annoying topics to get to such as disney infrastructure so I, I won't do that but avatar wow yeah what a, what a picture it is i i showed up you said it's your first time watching it on imax on 3d yes i had never seen it except okay, okay. i had seen it on a small tv on dvd in high school and then a slightly larger tv on blu-ray after college and it is a radically a radically different experience watching it in a theater especially in 3d and my audience was was thrilled to be there when i showed up it was only like six solo dudes chilling by themselves in this massive imax theater but it was about 50 people by the time it started including a large group of teenagers and a fairly large family so everyone seemed to have fun i think everyone was on the same page at kind of smiling and smirking at some of the sillier, dumber things in the movie. But sure, just some of the most effective action filmmaking of the last decade, honestly. Like, better than most. And I also think the screenplay, while not the most intelligent, interesting screenplay at times, it does everything it needs to to get you to care about the characters, invest in the world, and side with the Na'vi. And if you're laughing at that... I want you to kind of check your prejudices against other other cultures and societies because laughing at the Navi culture probably says something pretty negative about you. <laughs> That's my take. No, I, I, I hear you. How curious for your thoughts specifically of how it looks and also which after credit scene did you get? What's your perspective about the way of water? Yeah. The five minutes that you saw and how that looks compared to your first response. Yeah. I was surprised at how good it looks. I think only this... Uh, we talked last week about how you missed the very intro with the spaceship stuff. That was the yes. only thing that looked kind of shoddy to me. It just all the textures were fairly flat. Didn't help that I just watched Gravity two weeks ago. So that was fresh in my mm -hmm. mind in terms of outer space lighting and perspectives. But everything else looked great, especially the Navi character models. And I think there, it was such a wise choice to make something humanoid but not human to surmount the uncanny valley challenges that specifically Disney has faced with um, their Star Wars de-aging or, or Grand Moff Tarkin or whatnot. Um, and just overall, just it was so nice to see such bright, bright vibrant colors and filmmaking and mm -hmm. um, stuff that just is counter to a lot of films we've seen recently, especially films made by Disney. We'll be getting deeper into the world of Avatar and ugly films made by Disney later on in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, we will. Oh, and the after credit scene. Yeah. So I think it was the same one. It was just Jake and Atiri's kid, I'm assuming, with a bunch of other Avatar, or sorry, Navi children in a Ooh. water kingdom. No, I don't think it was the oh. same. Oh. Mine was only one Keith dancing with like a Pandorian whale. Oh, I did not have that. I didn't realize there were different oh. scenes. Okay. Yeah, I think there are two. I think there are two. Cool. You got a different one. How did yours look? Mine was 
two kids that were related that were unfamiliar with the water culture that could not easily breathe underwater. A third kid of that family, and then two kids that were from this water kingdom who were really good at holding their breath that were making fun of the kids. And then that third middle kid between the two was getting better at diving and, and breathing underwater. So my assumption here is that it will be similar in terms of we have an audience surrogate character that's unfamiliar with the culture and is being engrossed and taken in by a culture, except it's going to be whatever the water Navi culture is. Uh, and it was pretty. It was beautiful. Not much going on in terms of actual characterization or plot, but I think that's by mm -hmm. design. And I can confirm that the scene was projected in 24 FPS and not 48 FPS. Um, okay. So I'm excited to see how it looks in high frame rate. But overall, it looked good. Everything's a little crisper, especially a lot of the textures. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. No, that's great. Glad you were able to see it. And uh, yeah, excited about the way of water. I, I, I'm realizing I'm going to be in Mexico when it comes out. So I'm going to have to go to uh, Cinepolis and watch it really big. I will be in Houston um, with Alex's family and it will be a uphill battle trying to get any of them to go see it with me. <laughs> Just do it on Christmas Eve, Eve, the 23rd or something. Um, don't worry, darling. Mm-hmm. It truly feels like a well. I guess first of all, I had a lot of fun. I thought it was interesting. It's not a perfect movie. I think the pacing is weird, and mm -hmm. the way they start telling you how things are wrong since the beginning, and then how long it takes for them to actually tell you what's happening, felt a little too long, and that the tension was never really ratched to a level where I feel like. Oh my God, what's going on? However, I thought it was fun. I thought Florence Pugh was great. I thought the reveal, I didn't expect the reveal. And I think like we talked about uh, a week ago, it. I do enjoy having a original movie, you know, female-led, female director, female writer, female produced. <laughs> But it truly feels like it was, uh, it suffered from its expectations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone else, so many podcasts are writing about like just so many of decisions is that this movie was painted at this, you know, feminist first, like the importance about, uh, you know, fe female pleasure during sex and liberation. And it didn't feel that revolutionary. Yeah. Even the plot around like, like, who are these people that at the end, spoilers, their version of being masculine is to kidnap their wives and bring them back to the 1950s? Yeah. Like, they're, they, they're, there's, again, to the point of, like, where I, where I thought was, like, no, they must be in danger of, like, so many of the, like, there is violence against women and rape and so many terrible things where what these guys want is just that they clean the house and prepare dinner. But... I still had a lot of fun. I think it was good. I think, uh, you know, is it one of my favorite movies? No. But considering everything that's been happening, that has, has been coming out, that has been just awful. Yeah. This seems good. And I really hope this doesn't mean there are more, there are less swings like this. I truly yeah. think this was just, I mean, the scandals, whatever, but 
they hyped it up too much. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it really came back to bite them. I will push back on your view of the, the ending there with with the characters. And I think that's a pretty specific characterization of a certain type of nerdy dude who wants to play by the rules and be supportive of women and be a, a, a woke champion and feminist. But also deep down wants women to be subjugated and feels threatened in their masculinity by a woman having a position of power over them or a better career than them. And I think that the world of, what is it, the Victory Project, I think, encapsulates that. And the even the view of, of female pleasure is around the fact that it's... The female pleasure that's depicted in the film is about dominance and power by the man, even if it is inducing pleasure for the woman. That said... To your overall point, it is really bizarre that all the marketing was just, this is a feminist film because it depicts positive depictions of pleasure for women and positive, powerful women with with agency in this movie. When the entire movie is, is pointedly, thematically the opposite of all of the marketing materials around this. And to the point where... I can't decide what happened there. Like, was it the marketing department decided to commit to a line? Was it people misunderstanding the film they were making? Or are people just trying to make sure that spoilers don't get out because actually trying to hammer home the real thematic messaging of the film would spoil the film? I don't know. I I, I tend to think it's probably just Warner Brothers marketing department committed to Elaine and Olivia had to step in line and, and just kind of kept misspeaking across the board. But yeah, weird marketing. I think the marketing outside of the shadiness of Olivia Wilde really hurt this movie. Yeah. And yeah, I think in the reveal it was uh... yeah, it was way more sci-fi than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a different type of reveal. Not that it's very sci-fi, but uh being being in the metaverse in Palm Springs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that's me. I'm don't worry about it. So overall we're both on the same page that not a disastrous movie, <laughs> despite what everyone told led us to believe. I didn't I didn't think so. No. Especially when again when we considered it like standalone if we forget about the marketing and uh we just went and saw a movie uh there are some things that i mean just two questions for you this is where you were talking about like where where the when i was looking at the fridge at night what was the name of the kubrick is it the kubrick test? oh it was it was hitchcock fridge logic hitchcock yes perfect honestly the only thing that i was like "Uh uh-huh you know the scene where like she's cleaning the window and the wall falls on her what was that? Was that I just know. her actually go- like, yeah? Because all of the flashbacks and all of the things around, you know, she sees the dancers and the hypnosis uh-huh. and the flashbacks. You get it at the end, but that one was just like, was this the metaverse not working or was it just in her head? And it doesn't matter. But that was kind of the only thing that I was like, oh, okay, what yeah. was that? Uh, the the thing for me was the 
the toy plane imagery slash airplane imagery never quite resolved. And it's okay if there's if it's like a David Lynch movie and there's that every 30 seconds and it just ends up being this compounding effect of confusion. But just for it to film like a pretty tight, neat story and then there to be sloppy plot holes doesn't really affect the enjoyment of the movie, but it is sloppy. Yeah. Okay, I guess another question. Just 20 seconds. Yeah. Ariela's question was, when she gets shocked, uh-huh. yeah. is that in the Matrix or is that outside the Matrix and it happened before they showed it? Or Great question. Or I've also thought about that. I have no idea what the ECT's effect on it was. And, like, it's unclear how the technology works in terms of it integrating with their brain. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. I think the emotional arcs of this film are clear, but yeah, some some shoddy plotting for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. My takeaway was truly, you know, there is this, this came to mind. This has nothing to do with movies, but let me, tell me if this works with you. There is this, uh, you know, perspective that when you think about uh, your partner, like your significant other. Yeah. And whenever people are making decisions about changing and saying, you know, I don't know if this is going to work out. And you imagine what the perfect match would be. You think that the perfect match, you know, you 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 get 80% of what you need with your current partner. And you believe that the next one is going to give you that extra 20% right. that you're missing. But you forget that that extra person, it might not give you the same 80% that you're getting today. Mm-hmm. I feel like some people talk about Don't Worry Darling as, as if it's an... 20% movie that is missing 80%. I actually think it's quite close. It's like a, it's like at 80%. And if it got cleaned a little bit, it doesn't have to be restarted completely to be a good movie. It's rough around the edges. Yeah. And some of the screenplay stuff, it's like not that close, but it's it's not that far as um, the internet wanted to make it, at least in my non-sophisticated perspective. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. So I, I think this is a great way to segue to yeah, this this podcast this week is just becoming a film and theme parks review podcast. Very little strategy. <laughs> Maybe we'll get into some some actual strategy with uh, the the Disney infrastructure stuff, but we're not Maybe. going to for a while. So both you and I had the opportunity to enjoy a genre of film that we really like, which is the plane movie. Oh yes, uh, we were in long planes also. Uh-huh. Um. So in my first flight, I'll tell you quickly the menu. I watched Jurassic World Dominion, which I think is a, it was a great choice because I really didn't want to invest in it anymore. And when I was in the plane, I was like, this seems like the right level of investment. I watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent mm-hmm. with Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal. And then on the way back, I watched the incredible and fantastic Top Gun Maverick. So <laughs> very quickly, have you watched Jurassic World Dominion? Yes, I did. I saw it in the theater. Oh, man. Oh, yes, this is right. That's right. Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and I... uh, Oh, boy. I'm going to talk talk about two bummer movies I watched that I did not like, but Jurassic World is, like, a failure to... It's not even a movie, honestly. It is a disaster. It is a disaster. It's so bad. And so full of... Yeah, I don't even want to spend time on it. Like, what a... What happened with your boy? My boy? Trevorrow. Yeah. He's, there was never my... Okay, he's only my boy. Well, he was kind of your... Kind of a little bit from no. there for a second? He was only my boy because I like think Book of Henry is the most ridiculous disaster of a movie I've ever seen. <laughs> like, 
Book of Henry is like it's not the cats thing where and it's it's not the goldfinch where I actually think it's a great movie. It's not the cats thing where it's obviously a disaster, but there's obviously someone not asleep at the wheel that's just careening this into being a, a disaster. It is just a confounding script that with confounding tone choices that just truly shows a lack of understanding of what a human being wants to see in a movie. This movie, I don't I don't even see a director in this. I, I don't even know how what Colin Trevorrow did. It just seems like a studio mandated that there be three characters from the previous two films, three characters from the original films, three new characters that all shore up uh, weaknesses in the diversity of the cast, but also have absolutely no characterization that's interesting, so it's almost more insulting to those actors that they were cast in these vapid roles. And they all have to live, and nothing bad can happen to them. <laughs> uh, the most surprising thing that you see that he said that he didn't think Jurassic World, or he said Jurassic Park, should have had sequels. And then at the same time, he said he wants to make more. In the same breath. I did see anyway. this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't even want to. Let's move on. The Umbrella Weight of Massive Talent. Have you watched this? I have not. Should I? I had a lot of fun. Cool. I think for, That's I what think I thought for it would especially, be. Yeah, especially for a plane, it's very simple. Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal are just having fun. Cool. It, it could be tighter. It could be, you know, some things. But it's a little bit over the top in a good way, I thought. Like, perfectly, perfectly fun. And then on the way back, uh, yeah, Top Gun Maverick, still amazing, still great, even in a small, even in a small screen. So third time through, and I think of many, many more before the year is over. I think I almost clicked on it. I my adrenaline rush on my end came from watching Ambulance, which I really liked, the Michael Bay film. It is a dumb film at times. Uh, have you seen Ambulance? No. Yeah. So I'll just it's on give Netflix you... now, I think, right? I'm not sure. I watch it on the United Inflate Entertainment platform. But I will just give you an example of, of its dumbness, which is a... So there's the ambulance driver, the EMT. She has a patient in the back who is being treated whenever Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen take this that when it, take the ambulance hostage and hijack it whenever a, a robbery goes wrong and midway through the film the character who was in the back and is mostly unconscious needs emergency surgery by the EMT and they don't have the anesthesia on board and this character wakes up and starts screaming during the surgery and one of the characters punches that character in the head and they go unconscious. And that's what they use for anesthesia. So that's the level of intelligence of this movie. Kind of makes sense. But also deeply stupid. But the thing that's great about this is, one, it has some really interesting drone photography. People have promised that it was like the most revolutionary cinematography you've ever seen. Not quite there, but really weird and cool looking. And moreover, Chicho and Ayaya Abdul Mateen just sell the hell out of the, the movie and act overact to the point where you just completely buy it. It's fine. It's great. So 
everyone in the movie is doing what they need to do. They're having fun. It's good action. I recommend it. Just don't expect it to be, you know, Mad Max Fury Road because nothing else. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the EMT is Asa Gonzalez, right? The Mexican actress from uh, Baby Driver. And I think from some of those things, I think she's also in Kong versus Godzilla. Yes, she, she was pretty, also pretty very good. I did not have issues with any of the acting in this movie. And in fact, the acting is what elevated it from a three-star movie to a four-star movie to me. Okay. Interesting. Go Mexico. Um, what else did you watch? Okay. So here's the meat of what I wanted to talk about. I watched Thor, Love and Thunder. And I watched Lightyear. Thor, Love Lightyear is better. <sighs> I didn't say it's good. It's a better film. It's better. Yes, okay. I, Thor, it's... Uh, yeah, sorry, go. So, I would agree with your assessment that Thor is a worse movie than Lightyear. Thor is bewildering because I can't figure out whose fault it is that it's bad. Because when Take is allowed to do his Take stuff, it's fun. All the acting is serviceable to good. I mean, Natalie Portman's not really giving anything, but neither is the script. And get that paycheck girl i don't care like it's fine um christian bale as usual is overdoing it to the point where it's like wow you're great in this but i'm not sure why you're great in this um but yeah just a film where i was on board for the first act the second act sort of starts slipping into a bunch of sequences of just like let's go do this let's go do this let's go get this MacGuffin. it's like okay well this is a bit exhausting and then the last act is a series of emotional beats and fight sequences that truly I do not understand how they connect at all, except for a character says, I must go do this. Not a single emotional moment of the film lands. I don't really understand the plotting of what happened, except I could tell you how they got from point A to point B, and I actually did because Alex started watching the last 20 minutes of the movie with me on the drive back from Key West and I had to catch her up and it was sounded like utter nonsense when I was saying it and it was utter nonsense but yeah what a disaster it was just I felt like I just walked away with nothing from that movie really bad weird. To, to your point about the about whose fault is it my characterization was something like Taika was like, I'm going to make Taika stuff, like my regular Taika no. stuff. And then people were like, oh, you're going to make Taika stuff, right? Like a lot of Taika stuff? Can you please do a lot of Taika stuff? And then he just like, uh, yeah. And, and, it's all over the place with bad decisions. And, and unlike, say, Doctor Strange recently, it's sure. there's not much in the film that looks bad. I actually thought it looked pretty good throughout. But Doctor Strange is a better movie because the plot's cohesive, there's some interesting ideas, and the characterization and acting really works at times. Whereas this just gave me nothing at all. Uh, and then on the Lightyear front, I had to admit it, I didn't finish it. I don't feel compelled to finish it. It's not bad, it's just kind of exactly what I thought it was going to be. Deeply formulaic in both a Disney action movie way and in a Pixar way. I think the first Pixar film that I've seen that just feels like corporate product to the point where it's like, okay, so we're going to have a fun montage here and then we have to have a sad, melancholy, emotional beat here 
and then we're going to be introduced to a ragtag group of people and everyone's kind of quirky and fun whatever i liked socks the cat socks the cat is innocent and great and fun yeah yeah but everything else i just i didn't care i was halfway through this movie when we switched planes and i got to the next plane i was like I'm just going to read my book instead. I just, I don't need to finish this. And I don't feel the need to. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely worried about Inside Out 2. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Just that, and that's like, that's a, a very fair complaint because Turning Red is, is back to early 2010s Pixar and, and yeah. to me, better than early 2010s Pixar in like the characterization and the emotional beats and the uniqueness and originality of the story and characters. But this just felt like it felt like an AI program just wrote a screenplay based on Buzz Lightyear and input a bunch of other random stuff they wanted to touch. The animation's beautiful, like it really works mm-hmm. visually, but just. That potting and characterization, I couldn't couldn't get behind. No, I, I completely get it. Uh, the the other thing for me too was I was intrigued by how hard the sci-fi was going to be because relativity and time dilation are an important factor, which is kind of like a kid's version of the Interstellar thing. Yeah. But the way this is introduced is Buzz Lightyear ten minutes in goes on a test flight and comes back and it's been four years, but it's established that he's an interstellar journal interstellar explorer on a vessel previously that was capable of at least light speed if not faster than light travel so therefore just really confused why the emotional beat and whole plot construction of this film is based off of relativity and time dilation being making timelines tricky but they just throw this guy into a test vessel to test it and and Nobody has ever mentioned what time dilation up until the fact, up until he lands, and it's four years later. It felt very weird to have all the characters be surprised at how time and gravity work when they do this for a living. Just kind of just didn't work as a thing to emotionally build your movie around when it implies that your characters are deeply unqualified to be space rangers. <laughs> for me, I, I'm going to get your thoughts on this on the sci-fi. The weirdest thing was that the whole. Uh, success or failure of the, the the mission for the the whatever finding the right fuel yeah was like this very basic almost mario party game of you're a bartender and you have three types of fuel and you have to get the right mix of the three yeah like that's what the whole movie came down to yeah so do you have the recipe of percentages of these three uh, very a funny looking color fuels and you have to socks needs to figure out the right combination of them which also seems like just just don't talk about this just yeah i i have no i have no problem with the, the science not making sense i'm not trying to be neil degrasse tyson here like i don't care at all like yeah star wars they fly like they're in an atmosphere except they're in outer space this at least there's some sort of newtonian physics in how the spaceships move right like it makes sense enough for a kid's movie. That's fine. I just have an issue with a lot of the emotional and narrative beats of the thing relying on quote-unquote hard physics, but in a way that is selective and just kind of made up at times, and also, but also requires deep buy-in and understanding of, of hard physics at other times. Just 
doesn't make any sense as opposed to Interstellar where they are fully conscious of it and commit to it at any point or Star Wars where they just don't care and that's fine. Yeah. I love that we can look at our podcast and be like, oh, remember the podcast where we compare the physics between Lightyear and Interstellar because they aren't the same. <laughs> yeah. Oof. But yeah, and, and to me... Same just, type of movie. Overall, like I, we can wrap it up here, but just these two movies, looking at at my end of year 2022 list, like these are bo- both at the bottom right next to... Uh, Jurassic World. Jurassic World. There's a massive gulf between <laughs> these two films and that one. But it's just, it's so depressing looking at the studio that is the dominant cultural force. And these things are just, I just feel like I ate a Snickers bar, except it was like some weird Urzat Snickers bar flavor. And I, I wanted just <laughs> at least a plain Snickers bar and not like white chocolate with like strawberry nougat or something weird. Yeah, I just, we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see where they end. Right, they're closing out with a bang with Wakanda Forever and <sighs> I the Wave Water. We'll and see. Like if the, if those do well, those are going to be the two biggest movies of the year. Well, Avatar only plays for like a week, but whatever. And, and hey, well, no, Top Gun Maverick, I guess. Well, eh, no, but like this Wakanda Forever and Avatar are going to be like they have top ten all time potential. No. And we talk about, uh, or we talked about uh, cognitive dissonance earlier. I have yeah. so much cognitive dissonance around <laughs> Black Panther, the original one, being such an effective film that I don't yeah. think is perfect, but is pretty damn near the perfect thing that you can get out of the Marvel superhero formula. And on top of that, that teaser trailer is so effective and so good. The trailer that's come out is also pretty effective. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little they, more by the what way, I expect. They confirmed that Atlantis is Mexico. They call this guy Kukulkan, which is an actual Mayan god, which is the equivalent of Quetzalcoatl from the Aztecs, which is the feather serpent. And Namor has feather serpent little things on her, his shoes and he flies. Yeah. I need to get into these comics. I can't believe Atlantis was in Mexico and nobody told me. <laughs> This is like information I should have had. It's Alex and I laugh out loud every time we because we haven't seen the new trailer in a theater, but we've seen the tra- the teaser in a theater probably a dozen times at this point. We laugh out loud every time it goes from this beautiful sweeping imagery of Wakanda, uh, and then you see uh, Nand not Nandor, sorry, Namor, Namor, Namor. Yeah, I think still what we do in the shadows person but uh <laughs> Na- namor's birth and just like all this beautiful striking imagery that looks like something the music's swelling and then all of a sudden it cuts to generic marvel aircraft carrier heist scene where everyone's dressed in fatigues and black and carrying assault rifles and it's just like really we can't mm-hmm. we can't even have one movie without this stuff leave the u.s government out of these one <laughs> yeah gosh yeah but no, yeah, right. I same page. Like, I despite having just seen these two movies, I'm still here sitting thinking, maybe Ryan Coogler can do it. Mm-hmm. He probably can't, but fingers crossed. Yeah. James Cameron can though, because he, God knows that the, the Bobs have not had any input on that movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And before we move on to Disney transportation, because we, we can use this as a way to limit the Disney talk, but the theme park talk, I wanted to touch briefly with you about Glass Onion, the yeah. Knives Out sequel, because Netflix announced, and Ryan Johnson announced, that it's going to play for one week only in 600 screens the week of Thanksgiving. And this was hailed, I think, as the first time that Netflix is able to kind of reach an agreement with the three big uh, yeah. movie theater chains. I'm going to try to hide my opinion in my voice. What did you think about this? What did you expect? And then what did you what did you expect they were going to do in theaters? And how did you... What was your response? How did you feel when they announced this? I'm surprised that it's being released at all. I Or... I expected it to be the same sort of ersatz, maybe four-walled, or maybe they are taking some sort of cash-at-this-point experience with minor theater chains that I've experienced, like Blonde or The Irishman through, or Roma. I'm surprised that it is getting as wide a distribution as it is. But if they're going to go for a week, just go in for, for two or three months. Like It's so stupid. It's the Encanto par- paradox we talk about. You're leaving money on the table. Netflix clearly needs money. And they spent $200 million on the rights for this, much less actually making the damn thing. Come on, guys. Like, stupid not just to, like, let it sit for a while. It seems insane, honestly. Do you exactly think, what you said. Thanksgiving Put theater, it in a month. Of, yeah. 3,000 screens. Make 250 million of these over a month. And then put it on Netflix. Do a Put it on Netflix when it's on the movies. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving release what? theatrically, Christmas release on Netflix, get both holiday points, just own the box office, own the conversation at Christmas, steal audience from Avatar being in theaters at Christmas. It's a layup, and they didn't do it. It's weird. I agree with you. It's a weird half measure. If you believe this is going to drive a ton of signups or of retention, don't put it out. Put it out for two weeks in New York and LA. We're just if you're if you're going through this, it how much money did Knives Out make? It ended up making like five hundred worldwide, probably. Four fifty. Which was amazing, of course, for like a uh you know, a quote unquote original uh, an original movie. Like it, it made three eleven worldwide. Okay. But still healthy. Budget was forty million. Yeah, this seems this seems worse. But my, I want to move to Disney. But yes, 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 yes. My 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 rationale here is, I'm assuming Netflix still didn't want to put in theaters, and it was just something that Ryan and Daniel Craig were able to push for as part of their agreement, because it seems like both of them would be gung ho about having it in theaters, and that's where this is. Yeah. Nope, that makes a lot of sense. So, Carl, I went to Disney World. Yes. And I did the four parks for the first time, I think, ever. I don't think I had ever done that. And especially not in in this iteration of myself, where I'm able to know about what I like and how I appreciate it in a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, of course, in a very privileged position with Ariella uh, being a cast member uh, for the rest of the month and being able to go with discounts. But 
like moving beyond the traditional, you know, Disney has this, they're so good at the experience and keeping you there, how everything works, how everyone is so incredible at moving you around, getting you where you have to be. Everything is simple. Everything is seamless. Uh, there were a couple of things that I, I wanted to kind of tell you about, and I would, I would um, categorize them in a couple of different buckets. Yeah. The first one is around kind of what is the experience of going to Disney World today in terms of planning, like once you're actually there. The second one, and you talked a little bit about this, but was kind of what are some of the new rides like? How do they feel, and, and do they do they hit do they hit the mark? There are a couple that I was able to to do for the first time, and then lastly, the behind the scenes of the things yeah. that you and I care about about how things work actually behind the scenes. So let's take the first one. Yeah, on on the first one, my perception of what's evolved since we were both last in Disney World. Or at least me, and I know you haven't written some of the rides that are of this category, is we have just sort of the next phase of rides, which are incredibly advanced ride systems and iterations on mm -hmm. previous ride systems, but also are new extensions of IP as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we can start with that one. The... I think you and I are on the record of saying how much we loved so much of what we love of theme parks and specifically for Disney as some of the IP that was developed for them. Yeah. Right? The the parts of the Caribbean, the Haunted Mansions, the Big Thunder Mountains. Um uh, and just how nothing like that gets done anymore. Yeah. I think the latest stuff is was in Hong Kong, like Mystic Manor and some of the Grizzly uh, Grizzly Run areas, but everything now or Soaring maybe even. But now everything is IP. And there were four rides that I wanted to talk about, all that fall into this category. The first one that I did is Animal Kingdom has a Pandora area. Speaking of Avatar, I, Ariel and I watched Avatar a week before you know, in movies, so it was nice to kind of go. And Flight of Passage yeah. is, is kind of this story where the, the, the area in the park is set up, I think it's like 50 years after the first movie where there are still some humans that were left out. And there is like this big conservation effort where they're trying to understand, uh, continue kind of uh, how things work to, to just to understand it better. And what they tell you is that you're going to go through this rite of passage that it's uh, shown in the movie where you ride a Nikran for the first time. The first thing, and I think this is what Disney separates Disney from everything is like the queue and the pre-shows are just incredible. And they yeah. add a level of of immersion. <laughs> you can tell, like, they spend a lot of money and a lot of space on not the ride. Like, this one has one where they tell you the story, they tell you what you're going to do, and then they scan you and they throw air at you to get rid of microbes, like, whatever. And then yeah. you walk to the next one, and then it's a different hologram of, like, the scientist that explains you how you need to do go through things. But actually, once you go in, the way you should think about this, Carl, it's a soaring, like... Um, experience but when you walk in you don't see anyone else you see 10 kind cool. of motorcycle almost things where you need to sit down and push your kind of your chest forward and like scooch yeah. in they tie your calves from the back and they put a restraint on your back so that you're really going forward and then cool. you need to grab your hands and in front of your face there is this huge 
digital display, super high resolution with a lot of information. You can see your face like with a camera. It has like information about how you're going to get connected to an avatar that is mid, you know, in midair. And again, they just put a lot of touches that makes it very different. And then once the screen actually opens, you are meters away from this IMAX screen and you're riding an Ikron. You're riding one of these big birds. And because you're sitting in this motorcycle style thing, mm -hmm. they do this thing where you're sitting, where it expands and it contracts. So it feels like the Ikron is breathing. That's awesome. Which is just one of those things that you're like, okay, this is insane. This is ridiculous. Everyone knows you're not. You can turn to your left and you see, you would see Alex. You can turn to your right, you would see a random tourist. Like, but it breathes. And it's one of those rides where... I don't, I don't think this is a spoiler, but there is no narration. Cool. There are no words. There is no... You're, you're supposedly like following a guide, yeah. like a, a Navi guide. There is never a, hey, this way, or oh, watch out. Nothing. It's just you That's kind of gliding so along and following and the music changes and... Uh, it's fantastic. Well, it's like, I, I thought going in... I thought going in, just being like, I don't think this is going like, to really hit the spot. It's going to feel halfway. And I loved it. I thought it was great. It's like four minutes long. So, like, quite long. And just walking out of there, I was like, oh, this is nice. And this is like six years old now. That's what speaks to what's so good about Avatar, though. Rewatching it with the last 12 years of cinema behind our backs. It's so refreshing just to have a camera show you hey look at this thing and like oh you can just kind of look without it being yeah they fly now they fly now they fly now right like it doesn't have to be said out loud a million times in order to make sure that even the dumbest person will not miss something or yeah more realistically yeah, yeah. somebody staring at their phone while watching disney plus won't miss something <laughs> exactly um but avatar fantastic like truly, truly great. The the next one that I want to talk about is I guess two that fall into the same category, which are Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway and the Ratatouille Drive. Because these two rides, I think, basically set the stage for I think what the bar is now for dark rides. In okay. Game. They both use the trackless system where they're they're almost like dance on their own. Uh, there is no track. They, are, they still go by groups. So in Mickey and Rini Runaway Railway, you start as if you're going in a train and there are four cars behind each other. But mm -hmm. once something happens, they break up and then into each room, they go into diff in different settings and you're first at one time and then they push you back and Ratatouille is the same. And it really adds a, a level of fluidity. And even though you can't, you can't see the tracks, but you can see kind of wheel marks on the floor. Like, you know where the cars are going to go. But it adds a level of movement into the cars that it's very I think it's exciting. And Ratatouille and Runaways Railway are different because Runaways Runaways Railway, it's very physical. There are no screens. Yeah. Like there are projections, but the sets are there. While Ratatouille is very screen. Like you remember Pirates from Shanghai. Right. It's like very, very screen heavy. But it's very exciting. And all the kids are so happy. And they're just fun. Like you can tell that the technology is like this is great. This is cool. And they're so much better than the stuff that Universal is doing with, like, Fast and Furious and Kong. Right. Just, like, not great. Universal is amazing with, like, the Spider-Mans of the world, the Transformers. Those are, like, fun uh, 
things, but these these two are amazing. Universal's better at, at ride at at thrill rides. Disney's better at at experiences and theming. But there yeah. is a big thrill ride, and I guess an even bigger thrillish ride. But tell me about Cosmic Rewind. Yeah, so Cosmic Rewind is the new Guardians roller coaster, and it's a roller coaster that it's also it's indoors. There are a lot of screens, but what's new is that the cars can turn on their own axis 360 degrees. So as as you're going through somewhere, you, all the cars can turn one way or the other. It has like a forward launch, a backward launch, and it can, um, it's very exciting. The thing that is difficult, and I'll talk about this in the planning point, is that you right now it's still only on a virtual line. So yeah. you, you, at 7 a.m., you kind of click in, it tells you your group, whatever, and it tells you an estimate. So Epcot, we didn't rope drop, and I woke up at 7, I clicked, and it said, your group, whatever, 27, and said, estimate time, 250 minutes. So I was like, okay, this is like <laughs> three to four hours from the time the park opens, like at 9. So I was like, I'm just going to get there at 11 and do some rides, and then, you know, I'll get there. We woke up at 10, so an hour in, and our group had expired. Okay. And I was like, this is insane. Like, it's free. It's not the lightning link. But I was like, this is bananas. Like, I get that it's an estimate, but they got it wrong by 75%. This is insane. If your of capacity, course, it's Disney. Yeah, if you're capacity planning based off of this, and you're also trying to get people to load balance on where they're going and what they're doing based on this, it should be a lot more accurate than that and or... It should be just sort of like some actual virtual queue and or fast forward pass system. That's, that's, yeah, that's not yeah. on you. That is very shoddy industrial engineering. <laughs> yeah, on, on the good part there, I think they're getting to a point where they're going to take the virtual queue out. And yeah. when I arrived, I was like, I'm just going to go to guest services and ask just to be like, can you give me another group? Or at what time is the next time I can try? Yeah. Or how does this work? And as soon as I started asking, she just smiled. She let me finish. And then she was like, you can just go. Don't worry. Awesome. Good. So, like, she didn't tell anyone. I just went, I tapped it. It turned a different color. The guy was like, one sec. You're good. Just go. So, again, they're good at this. They're not going to make you feel dumb for not cool. messing up. That's good. Which was good. Yeah. It's a fun ride. I really didn't do it because she thought it was going to be too hard. She doesn't do roller coasters. I think it was a good decision. Yeah. Uh, were, the, uh, were the Epcot in-jokes worth the destruction of all that made that part of Epcot great? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. But the queue is very good. Yeah. They, they have a cool pre-show where they're going to teleport you up. So they walk you into this room. They close the door a la Haunted Mansion. Very cool screen. Yeah. You can see the walls. And there is this thing, okay, the, the the roof looks like these crystals. And they're like, three, two, one, a lot of lights flash. Gets dark for like half a second. And then lights come on. And all the walls are gone. That's cool. And now it looks as if you're in a spaceship. But like a big walls. And so, again, you can tell people have been there before and you still hear the reaction from folks being like, oh, yeah, like this was cool. Um, and and the ride is silky smooth. So my perception so is, is that it's just rock and roller coaster, except like 20 years better. Yeah, and it okay. turns and, and it's a lot of screens. Rock and roller coaster, the theming is terrible. Like you can't see anything. This, you kind of can't tell the story. The screens are nice. It's not 3D, which is good. And... Just yeah, lots of fun. Um, and and then and then the last one is uh, Rise of the Resistance, which we've talked about here as probably 
the greatest ride in the world. And speaking of like, don't worry, darling, and high expectations and going in, Rice meets them. Wow. And probably passes them. That's impressive. It's truly... It's at a level that I don't I don't know if anything is going to be done like this ever again. Mm. Because you can see... You can see... Universal going in the... Kind of the Koka arm. And the... Yeah. Theme roller coaster way. Like Alahagris and Velociraptors. Which is great. These are thrills. But like this is a level of immersion. You spend like half an hour... In the quote-unquote ride. Like, not pre-shows. Like, the, once you get into the first ride vehicle, which is mm-hmm. a, a pretty well-executed uh, simulator with you going, quote-unquote, into space with, like, animatronics, two animatronics, couple of screens, a lot of movement, doors open, you go into this very famous kind of stormtrooper, super open space, you get walked into an interrogation room, very well-done kind of screens and animatronics, the room shakes, the door gets quote-unquote blasted open, you get to the other ride vehicle, the actual ride starts, the set is awesome. Honestly, the best part of the... the you've probably seen so many ride-throughs of this, but the best the best uh, effects are for the blasters when they fire at you. Yeah. It's not only that parts of the walls actually like blow off, but like they did something that I guess there is a like a tube, a transparent tube that you don't see, where they flash some light, but it feels it looks great. It looks great. The lightsaber doesn't look great, but like this, you get shot at many times, and it looks awesome. fantastic. And it's also silky smooth, it's fun, the last the last drop, it's... Yeah, I can't wait for you to do it. Because it's... Wow. It's special. You can t- And you're standing outside and everyone goes out like I'm just opening my eyes and my mouth. Everyone is like blown away. Nobody can believe it. And it's one of those things that I'm like, they took a humongous swing and it still breaks down for like an hour and a half a day. But um, it is incredible. I'm so excited to do it. It, it. It's just sort of, it's sight unseen for me. It seems to be the best of everything I like in a ride, which is I, I do like thrills, but I also love dark rides and I love theming and I love weird techie stuff that I can't understand. And I love the magic of the Haunted Mansion and just not knowing how something's working and yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, it's very excited to hear that. So Yeah, and well, I'll save my review of, like, other rides in general, but, like, we had a lot of fun. We did a ton of rides. Uh, for a different experience at Disneyland because each park has less rides. But the only thing that I would leave you in terms of rides is, well, Everest is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Animal Kingdom, I think, was my favorite park because it's awesome. Yeah. And I truly think that the best ride still, for me, is Splash Mountain. It's still so good. It's like 40 minutes long or yep. whatever. It's the dark ride still like six drops. It's fun. It's whimsical. It's full of animatronics and sets and different changes in music. It's outside. It's indoors. It's it's so good. And I, I, I really like just the setting in terms of how it is. I know that is going to be kept for Tiana, so that's going to be amazing. But yeah. Splash Mountain is one that as a kid I loved and I still I did it and I was like, oh. I was so happy. I was a kid again. Look, we're both completely on the same page that it is the right decision to retheme Splash Mountain. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. And it was the right decision to never make Splash Mountain that theme in the first place in the yes. 80s. That said, I would like to ride this iteration of Splash Mountain before it closes, just because I am afraid that they're going to rip out a lot of animatronics, put up a bunch yeah. of screens, and it won't quite be the same. I'm willing to look past the awful, racist, exploitative theming of the ride in order to see something at that scale. And I worry that it's not going to be the same. But maybe... I, I think since so many characters are animals, they're probably going to be able to get reskin some things and just have that level of scale and scope. Here's hoping. Yeah. Here's hoping. It's also... You know it's my favorite, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the other two topics, uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time, but uh, the experience... Going to Disney World is complex, my friend. Yeah. We are logistical junkies. Their app. The best thing that I can compare it to is like WeChat. Mm-hmm. There is so much stuff you can do there. It's impossible to find everything. Yeah. Genie Plus works very good. We went in a time that it was easy. It was amazing. We did looked, you we did you pay for any lightning lanes? Yeah, we paid for Rice and Seven Mines Draft Train. How much? And I, I think they were 11 each. Okay. They were, by the way, they were prices increased for Junior Plus and individual lightning links today. We will talk about that another day. But it yeah, was we'll it, it got to a week. Yeah, it got to a point that in terms of usability and connection to the real world, it has it's not the most user friendly. But I was thinking about this. It's probably like the most I don't know what the right word is, but it's probably the most useful app in terms of breadth in the App Store. <laughs> like, it's insane. The way that it connects to everything that you can do goes through the app. And it's immediate. And the way the systems work where you tap a lightning lane in your phone. And a second and a half later, you tap it on a FastPass kiosk. And it went through. Wow. And it's not boggy that you're like, this is insane. The check-ins for check-ins for restaurants, mobile orders, transportation, resort stuff, check-ins, check-out, buses, wait times, ordering minivans, uh, all of the things about accessibility, the mm-hmm. virtual queues, things at 7 a.m., things for pass holder, park reservation, park tickets, Disney Spring stuff, um, anything you can possibly imagine, it's there. And I think when I think about the experience of like if you're someone that is not into this, it's gonna be painful to go to Disney World because the reservation system is different, the tickets are different, Genie Plus yeah. is different, individual lining link, like it's a lot. It's kind of getting to that point where things are getting very, very complex. And I truly hope they start simplifying them a little bit. I don't know how that's gonna look, but you can tell that they are really getting into the long tail of like we want to think about everything so that we can connect it yeah and in these first iterations it's, it's landing on the complex side but for someone like me like for someone like you it's great did you we are use not any of, did you use any of the intelligent planning tools we didn't the the only thing that it did help with for example was like when you park up you can make a you can make a genie plus reservation in another park yeah. And it kind of tells you, like, hey, you should leave now. And the way you should do it is like this. Yeah. 
and it knows where you are in the park. It tells you walk here. This is where you need That's to wait awesome. for the boss. The boss is 20 minutes away. He's going to take 20 minutes to get there. And then you have to walk. Like, it knows that. Great. But also, we weren't going to use the intelligent planning just because we knew what we wanted to do. I'm, I'm never going to take advice from them. I know what I want to do. That, that makes total sense. And that is something that has always been an Achilles heel of Disney World specifically. Is it's so hard to get around that complex from point A to point B or from park A to park C. So that's great to hear that that's even a feature. And I, I do worry about the user experience for, like you said, people that aren't, weren't super users of the old systems that were easy -er to understand and now have to use this super app that connects to everything that you have super users that are just going to scoop things from the, the people that aren't as educated around it. But yeah, yeah that that's glad to hear that it was a good experience, even if it was really crazy. That said, I do worry about going with my family and just them hating it. You're going to have to do everything for them. I think the good part is that that work, that's pretty seamlessly. It doesn't matter if it's not the same reservation on the same accounts, but yeah, I can I can talk more about that not in the podcast. <laughs> or if anyone's interested, let, let us know and we'll spend a, an, an extra episode on that. I We could talk about this for hours. And honestly, oh, yeah. I think I'm going to have you talk about this more next week because I just remembered you did the Keys to the Kingdom tour. My favorite experience to hype. My AUA for you is one word, yes or no. Do you recommend it? 700,000%. Cool. It's amazing. Great. I would have paid triple probably for it. Awesome. Well, we'll talk more we'll talk about more that next week. week. But glad you had a good trip. Let's both get some rest and come back recuperated and see if we can move away from being a film review podcast next week and actually get into some strategy. <laughs> yes. But I don't know. It's it's award season. It's blockbuster season. It's fun. I mean, we talked for a minute and a half about Glass Onion and release strategy. So. That's true. There we go. We can just release that as a separate episode and uh, <laughs> just call that our strategy episode. Exactly. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next week. I, I might share more about my trip. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.